You are listening to the Concierge Minister Podcast, a place to grow, learn, and be inspired as you discover God's purpose for your life. Here's your host, the pastor you've always wanted without the church, Dr. Kumar Dixit. Well, I'm really thrilled to um, have somebody who I've known for, boy, we are old because this is like going on like 35 years that I've known Rachel. Rachel Baird is um, my one true love from seventh grade. I had a crush on her. And she um, was a few years older than me uh, in, in school, but I, you, you never forget your first love. And so Rachel, there you are. Welcome. <laughs> Good to see you. Um, so, so tell me, I know you have a diagnosis of cancer. Um, what, what, describe it, what do you have? And, and, and a little, give me a little bit of a back, background. Okay. Um, I was diagnosed in January with um, stage four colorectal cancer, specifically um, rectal cancer. So uh, when I had to call and tell that to my brother, we laughed through our tears because I said, I had to get ass cancer. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, that's the one. It couldn't be another one, another part of the body. Right. But um, yeah, so I, I was, I went in just for. I had no symptoms, super healthy. Went in for a routine, although early colonoscopy, because as a health educator, I'd read the guidelines and changed. So I'd been asking my doctor about that. I don't have a family history, but because it was routine, I wasn't really concerned. I honestly expected nothing just was like checking a box like okay I do mammograms I do all this preventative care check the box that I got my colonoscopy and uh yeah super shocking really Uh, so this is your um was this your first colonoscopy first and only colonoscopy wow um as I was come you know coming out of the the um grogginess of being sedated um the doc, they, you know, they rolled me into recovery and uh, Lisa had run home because we live really close to the hospital and they, they and said they would- Lisa is your wife. Is my wife, yeah. And she said she would, you know, just come back and pick me up. It was her day off, so she had things to do, probably chores that I wanted her to do or something. <laughs> and uh, so they, so um, they didn't really come and talk to me about anything until she got in there and the, to pick me up. And uh, I realized when I looked at my watch, it was a lot later than they had said I would come out of the colonoscopy, but um, I didn't think anything of it. And the doctor came in to tell me that she found a large tumor in my rectum, which is shocking. That was something you'd think you would know. Um, And she was shaken up. And that as a healthcare professional, like looking into her eyes and, and, and Lisa got the same feeling too. It was, it was very shocking because of how shaken she was about it um even though at the time she didn't know it was if it was cancer or not i think she had a hankering that it could be um so that was pretty shocking and that was kind of the beginning of really such a nightmare (laughs) yeah I, i can imagine i mean how at that moment, is that when you found out or did they have to do a biopsy and then? Uh, they Well, so she said it was, you know, she, they had taken a ton of biopsies during it and she said that and I had to wait to hear. Um, one thing she said, you know, she said something encouraging. Oh, we think, you know, there's these some, some um, characteristics of the tumor that maybe led her to think it wasn't cancer. Um, but... I don't know. When I saw the pictures from the colonoscopy of what it was, yeah. I was like, I have cancer. Like there was that, that's the kinds of things that differential diagnosis she told me that I knew in that picture that that wasn't. So it was almost like we knew, knew too much. So 
we just had to wait to hear back from her, which was they were the the path was she was going to try to get a rushed, you know, mm. pathology to see um, if she could get me results quickly. So I um, also called my primary care doctor who had referred me and who's an amazing man, amazing physician who I feel very close to. Um, I called him and he got just to get a fire under the test and stuff. So she, he was like, this is scary, but let's just wait to see what happens. And I think within a couple days, um, I got the results. She called me at work. Um, Lisa was with me because she also works at the hospital. And we knew when I got the call, I called her. We went into my boss's office and um, called the doctor back. And she said, you do have cancer. um, And so we're going to get you referred on. Um, So there's a difference between saying you have cancer to knowing that you have stage four cancer. Yes. So the first person I got referred to was to a surgeon. Um, And, uh, you know, I feel so lucky, first of all, that I have the privilege of living very in close proximity to a wonderful um, uh, medical center. And that I, that's my, I work there. Um, And I know that this isn't everyone's experience and I have so much gratitude around how much, how much uh, support and privilege that I've had in this whole situation. And I see how so many people um, in our country don't have that same um, healthcare support. And I can't imagine how much worse this whole thing would have played out if I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I had to wait um, and people have to wait really long time to get in to see specialists, you know, and I had to wait a couple weeks um, to go to the Huntsman Cancer Hospital, which is affiliated also with the University of Utah. It's one of the best cancer hospitals in the country. Um, And I went in to see a specialist. Um, I also had a bunch of tests, MRIs, all all the scans, drinking all the fluids in the, it was doing all of that. Um, very humbling. I've always been very healthy and, and, um, it was very humbling always is. Um, and I, we went to that appointment where I was told I would be given the stage at that point. Mm -hmm. Lisa and I had a feeling from what the, the path report said, um, we knew that it was at least probably a stage three. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were praying that it was a stage three, you know, like crossing our fingers and toes and hoping it was a stage three. But, you know, we didn't think it was good news. And I just had this feeling from the time they told me I had cancer that it was ever, it was other places and it wasn't minor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just had this feeling. Um, I, just, I don't know what it was. I just knew that it was, it was not good. Um, so I went into that appointment and what was hard about that appointment was you know, the doctor had got, it was the end of the day, the doctor had gotten behind and was, you know, dealing with this situation with other patients. I'm sure um, you don't rush people (laughs) in these situations. So we sat in that room for over 45 minutes and it was the longest 45 minutes of my life waiting for the doctor to come in. I mean, just, I'll never forget. It was snowing outside. I was looking out the window. I was wringing my hands. Um, We were just like, you know, holding on to each other's hands and squeezing each other's hands. We were just a mess. And he came in and and examined me um, and took a long time to eventually tell me that uh, the scans had said that he really couldn't do surgery because he needed to send me to somebody else because I had cancer in my liver. So that was, and, and he waited till the way he did it too. We were just like holding every, like, you know, holding on to every word he said. And he he like kind of, 
you know, said it at the end of all the things. So it just right, seems right, like right. it was forever. But, you know, he teared up and looked right in my eyes and, and, uh, and I felt that compassion that he had, you know, he was very professional, but just seeing the tears in his eyes. And the first thing he asked me was how did, did our insurance pay for your colonoscopy this early? Wow. Um, <laughs> because this is a problem like most people like it is pretty shocking I have other friends who have the same you know insurance through the hospital who were told they couldn't have one yeah. I don't know why mine went through um, but the, that's what the surgeon wanted to know because he they see so many young people with colon cancer um, and you know they can't get a paid for by their insurance they can't get a colonoscopy earlier than 50 um, but there is a huge problem with uh, young people having this diagnosis and and nobody looks in your bum <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. unless you have a problem exactly. yeah, that's <laughs> so right. if you don't get the colonoscopy they're not going to know <laughs> you're, you're not going to know yeah so has it metastasized then for yes yeah, so i have over 14 lesions on my liver um, this kind of cancer usually, um, if it's going to metastasize, goes to your liver and then your lungs. Mm -hmm. um, the sad, the sad thing for me was that the there's something they can do with the, you know, everyone asks why can't you have a liver transplant or you know why can't they take some of your liver out? Um, if you have it generalized to one side of your liver, one lobe of your liver, they can do like an you know take off some of your liver or. You can't. You don't ever qualify for an organ transplant with cancer, but they can remove things. But mine is all throughout my liver, and the doctor showed me that. Um, and so, after, <clears throat> after I was, I, I still was like, you know, feeling so lost after I talked to the surgeon. I got referred and had to wait, and then met with my oncologist. At that point, my, you know, my family came in to town. Although I, I, I can't remember now. I think my first appointment with her, my dad, my my family wasn't with me. It was just Lisa and I. But we got referred to her, this amazing oncologist, and I immediately felt like, okay, I've got someone who's going to take care of me and help me. Um, I have I have seen in my career people in this battle, and in my personal life, my family members battling cancer, and I had always had this opinion that you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have the oncologist keep pumping poison into me. You know, this was kind of my yeah. attitude, poison into me and, and ruining my life. If I ever got diagnosed with cancer, you know, I'm just going to... Easy to say before you yeah, get cancer. Exactly. I'm going to go lay on the beach somewhere and, you know, be <laughs> yeah. happy. Um, so I was very suspicious and, and really wanted to know, like, you know, I don't want, you know, I wanted to make sure I had the right oncologist. And she said the right thing, that her focus is on um, my quality of life and... Um, and that's really important to her. Um, she was a brilliant doctor, MD, PhD, who's, you know, gotten all these awards that, you know, I wanted that to be in place also with yeah. my doctor, but more than anything, I wanted to have a connection and I wanted quality of life to be important. And we just immediately clicked. I just felt like I was in the right place. I feel so grateful for that. Um, and yeah, she's been my lifeline through this whole thing. Um, but she was, and she was really honest. I asked some hard questions like I, what, I'm not, I don't want you to assume I'm doing treatment because mm -hmm. they kind of do. Once you get that diagnosis, they, the ball starts rolling yeah. and it feels like you're out of control. It feels like someone else is in control. Like, mm -hmm. um, and, and, you're, and you're young, so they expect yeah. you to be as aggressive. Oh, yeah. So I said, I don't, you know, tell me, I don't know if I'm having treatment. Tell me what, what we've got going. And it was shocking what she said, but she looked right in my eyes and um, said, you know, 
without, I don't have a crystal ball, but without treatment, I, you know, I don't know how fast this cancer has been growing because we, you know, we just found it, but you could only have six months to live. That's pretty shocking going from thinking you're completely healthy. I literally had just had a physical where my doctor went over all these things about how low my heart disease and stroke risk was. And I was doing two a day workouts. And, you know, just from that to like, you may have six months to live was completely shocking. And I was already in shock just that I had cancer. Um, And then, you know, she said with some, with some chemotherapy treatment, uh, we can maybe buy you two to three years. Um, Also shocking. (laughs) Um, So I was like, well, okay, well, let's go forward with treatment because when I got diagnosed, um, it was January. By the time I talked to her, it was February. Um, and so six months was July. And I was like, oh, no, no. I need much more time than that. <laughs> I, need, yeah. I need at least four seasons. So yeah. Um, we, yeah, so we went forward with chemo. You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. Coming up. This amazing thing happens when you get, when you get told that is like instantly like that clarity about what is important and what isn't. Mm. Um, like what? Like you just should, the small stuff, the things that, you know, I easily was irritated by or <laughs> didn't have a tolerance for didn't bug me anymore or didn't seem important. Just the small stuff. Um, what mattered was love and people and relationships. You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to support this unique ministry, you can make a contribution through Patreon. Become a monthly donor or one-time giver. Your contribution allows Concierge Minister to provide new resources to help you live your best life. Just visit the show notes to find the link to Patreon. You know, it, it's different, like, you know, when you kind of feel like you're sick and you feel like in the back of your mind something is wrong with you and you just, you know, but when you go from just being fully healthy, working out twice a day, enjoying your life to being told that you have a six months, you know, to live, what does that do to you? I mean, what does that do to your lifestyle? What does that do to you emotionally? It rocked me. Like I have never been rocked before. Like it took me down. It's the hardest thing. I've been through a couple hard, pretty hard things in my life, but it really just, I don't like, I felt like my soul just cracked open Mm -hmm. (laughs) The, the ground, just everything that I thought was real. Um, you know, it, I don't know. I just felt uh, really scared. I felt scared. I felt um, shocked. I felt uh, weak. Mm. It just, I just felt like, you know, just, just couldn't believe it. It was just like unfathomable. I, I would tell everyone when they checked on me, how are you? And I would describe it as I'm just broken hearted. Mm. Um, I just felt like my heart was broken about it. I also felt um, this amazing thing happens when you get, when you get told that is like, instantly like that clarity about what is important and what isn't Mm. um like what like you just should the small stuff the things that you know i easily was irritated by or (laughs) didn't have a tolerance for didn't bug me anymore or didn't seem important just the small stuff um what mattered was love and people and relationships and that always had mattered to me and um so I was really shaken. I, I felt like I could hardly stand up sometimes. Um, but, you know, I, I've had a few, I feel like I've gotten a lot of lessons in my life from working in healthcare and then just think family and friends going through um, tragedies, uh, 
cancer treatment. And um, I, I instantly thought of my friend um, who is a physician who had um, blood cancer and had gone through, you know, a bone marrow transplant and all sorts of things. And I had always followed his um, Caring Bridges blog and he was an amazing writer and he's just an amazing spiritual person. Um, his blog changed me and that was years ago. Uh, just how he handled the cancer, how he handled the diagnosis. And, and I mean, it really made me want to be a better person. So I had changed, I feel like I had been trying to live in gratitude and, and, and be in a, in a place um, before all of this that really served me well. So I, I instantly went to what um, he gave me as advice um, when he heard about my diagnosis. Um, and this was something that was a, a theme in his blog. And that was, you know, there's so many things out of your control and you just got to focus on the love. Mm. Um, and that's what he said. You're going to get so much love coming your way and you're going to feel so intense, intensely love and focus. That's where your focus needs to be. That'll get you through. And I instantly, you know, as a health healthcare professional, the first thing you want to do is like go to the research and read all this stuff. That's just going to scare me. Right. Yeah. Um, I, but I also don't want to bury my head in the sand. I want to know what's going on. Um, but I really just had to like close that I'm a planner and that planner had to just be shut down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had to focus on the here and now and the moment and the love and, or I couldn't make it one moment longer. Oh, I also needed medication. <laughs> yeah. You mean like mental health medication? Yes, I needed yeah. medication for anxiety. I needed medication to sleep at first. I'm I, right now, currently, I'm not needing that. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been eight months. Yeah. But at first, I really needed medication, mm-hmm. mental health medication. So you were told you're going to live for six months. You're in month eight. I mean, how do you, do you look at it that way? Like every month is like a new, you know, a lease lease on life. Every morning that I open my eyes, that's how I feel. And I felt that way before, not so personally and intently. Mm-hmm. Um, but my patients have taught me that lesson to be, gra- you know, to have gratitude for every day. Mm-hmm. And and just because, you know, I know we don't know what that that tomorrow's ever going to be there for us. And, and I've felt that way my you know whole life, believed that my whole life. Um, so, but, but the, just the gratitude is, is even greater for each day um, and each moment. What was hard is is waking up every morning and remembering, you know, it did feel like waking up in a nightmare, but also I just had to say, oh, but I'm so, I'm here now. I'm so glad. Um, Kobe Bryant died right around when I got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, that like kind of was like, a wake up call to me at the, at the moment I was early in my diagnosis and I was like his life, you know, it was over like that for him. Yeah. And I have like, I have this, um, I can say my goodbyes or I can, you know, I can do what I need to do. Um, and that, I don't know, that had a huge impact on me that like I had this opportunity to get through this, um, and choose the way it was going to go. How, how did the act, the um, actor from Black Panther who died of colorectal cancer, how did that affect you? Because I know that that must be like so jarring. It is. You know, I, it's so interesting that you asked that because I feel like it's, you know, I, I'm not like, I am embarrassed to say that I haven't seen Black Panther yet. Um, I fall asleep in movies. I don't like superhero movies, but this movie is really important to me because what it stands for. And so I don't even like to admit that I haven't seen it yet. It's like on my list of things you need to see. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I, but so it's so strange that it hit me so hard. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, it did. It was like a punch in the 
in the gut, I had been doing really well. Um, my mood had been great. My emotions had been pretty pretty good around everything. And, you know, everyone's giving me all this great feedback about how positive I am and, mm. and, and how inspirational that is. And then I don't know it. We heard that and it was like a gut punch. He's this young guy, mm. great guy uh, who was so, you know, what every, everything to live for all the resources in the world. And if he couldn't fight it, you know, yeah. how am I going to be able to fight it? You know, how am I going to be able to get over this? And I'm not, I, I have a limited amount of time and that's sort of, I readjusted like, you know, you vacillate between hope that you're going to be, you know, have this radical remission, mm -hmm. um, to like, I want to prepare and, and his, his death made me go back from like, you know, this radical remission standpoint, hoping for <laughs> to more focus on if I only had this much time, what, how do I want to spend my time? And it sounds weird to think I got a terminal illness and I still wasn't there. Yeah. Um, but I think I had changed my focus to having hope because you know, you, you have to, not that I wasn't admitting I wasn't going to make it a long time, but I just was had my focus on the hope. And I needed to kind of refocus and make some decisions. It's been tough. And, and, I, and I have to tell you, I've emotionally been struggling since then. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can imagine. Um, can we talk about your spiritual journey? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know you grew up as a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, your parents were very active in the, in the church and um, involved in ministry. Um, where 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 do you, where do you see yourself now? You know, if I could give you a label, what label would you put on these days? You're listening to the Concierge Minister podcast with Dr. Kumar Dixit. Are you trying to grow in your relationship with God? Do you feel like you aren't getting anywhere at the gym or life coach? By becoming a monthly paid subscriber of the Concierge Minister, you'll receive one-to-one -one coaching on how to deepen your faith, personalized sessions to learn how to pray and exclusive access to spiritual counseling sessions. Kumar is a board-certified pastoral counselor and has extensive experience working with people from various walks of life. You can schedule a 30-minute free consultation with Kumar by sending an email to conciergeminister at gmail.com or by visiting conciergeminister.com. Can we talk about your spiritual journey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I know you grew up as a Christian. Um, your parents were very active in the in the church and um, involved in ministry. Um, where 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 do you, where do you see yourself now? You know, if I could give you a label, what label would you put on these days? Well, I don't want to break my parents' heart, <laughs> but I would say what what I've been identifying as to myself um, for a while. Um, is kind of been agnostic and from what i understand that means like i just feel like i don't know what exactly the truth is and um, if there is a god um and that and that sounds it's hard to say that um coming from the background that i did um but when i when i stopped uh being adventist um and i kind of just wanted a clean slate. It wasn't like I wanted to hop to another church or a new another religion. I just wanted to be kind of on my own and explore things because, you know, part of my um, final, like the last bit of leaving um, any sort of organized religion, 
also coincided with me coming out as a lesbian. Um, and that situation, me coming out, really just rocked the foundation of my whole world. Like, it made me question everything I believed in. And so that sort of process happened, um, you know, almost 20 years ago. Um, and I kind of, I had dabbled in other religion. You know, I, I went to the Unitarian Church, and um, I have a friend that that was um, wasn't Mormon, wasn't Mormon anymore. And he and I would joke around that when we were at the Unitarian Church, that it it was just like church without the without Jesus. We're like, but it just felt weird. I don't know. It's yeah. an amazing church too, but it just it, organized religion was like a trigger for me. I just couldn't be a part of it, and so I. Um, I just wanted to just be with myself and and learn things. I wasn't like voraciously reading like, you know, other religious um, views, but I just let myself be open to a lot of things. Um, I still wanted to be a good person. I still wanted to, um, you know, be a spiritual person. And I, I pursued those things. Um, and a lot of my, um, you know, I want to be a good person because it's the right thing to do. I want to love other people because it's the right thing to do. And that kind of is what changed, not because it's what Jesus wanted me to do, but just because mm -hmm. it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where I sort of lived. And my church is is nature and the outdoors, which comes from my Adventist upbringing because, you know, we, I, I don't know, when I was a kid, they, we always said nature is God's second book. And right, right. Yeah. Right. So, and you know, Sabbath afternoon, nature walks. And, but that really is where I, I, I feel if there, I feel there's something, is it a God? I don't know. I'm kind of open to it all. Like I look at all these world religions and different people, what they believe. And I think it's probably, we're all in the same boat here. And if there is a God, he's a God to all of us, or she's a God to all of us, mm -hmm. or whatever pronouns we want to use. But right. I, I sort of just, so I find inspiration in all of it, you know, the beauty of um, of Judaism and, and the things that I just hear from my friends who are Jewish bring me comfort, my, my Muslim friends. And, um, you know, I had a chance to work with some amazing therapists and, and patients in Morocco and really change, really kind of, um, I don't know, just, it was so amazing to, to be around people who have the Muslim faith for so long and how accepting and loving they were to me. And, and I didn't, you know, really, I didn't think I had any sort of prejudices or, or judgments about them. Um, but I was changed by being around them. So I did have some internal things, especially being a gay person. Um, but I just feel like, I feel like I've been able to draw from a lot of places um, that so have been me. So the childhood God that you grew up with, you know, um, you know, that was very closed and you, you know, it, yes. there's a certain God that we had as a, as a kid. Do you still pray to that God? Like, you know, are you able to like, uh, when you know when you're thinking about God or you're worrying or you're praying, do you still pray to that God or how do you address that God? That God was always kind of um, like the church's God and school's God, and mm. never was really my God. Even then, mm. you know, I was always kind of, you know, more liberal than everyone else. You know, wearing my earrings, getting in trouble. Um, my family was a little more liberal about religious things, um, but very, 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 you know, Christian and. And my parents still are very, very religious and, and spiritual. Um, but it never, that never spoke to me. I, and so for me, I always felt other all the time, my whole life, not about my sexuality, but, and, and how I identify, not that, but just, I never felt like I belonged in the Adventist church or that was really a part of who I was. I, 
it always didn't, it just didn't sit right with me ever. You know, I tried so hard to be good and faithful and do all the right things. It just never really felt right to me, but I did have a relationship with God and I always felt that was very spiritual. And I didn't want to leave the church for a long time because I really believed in changing from within. Um, and so a lot, that kept me there for a long time. So I always kind of felt like there was a different God that I had a relationship with gotcha. than it was of my child or, you know, that was like the church uh, or the, ch or the, you know, religious person. Um, I still, I, I talked to somebody, <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking to, but I talked to somebody. Um, but I also don't think it always has to be words. Right. I think, um, I think the, you know, a beautiful hike in nature where I am just having a lot of gratitude. I feel like that gratitude is, um, is sort of a prayer, you know? So it is in that way, I think different. I think my mind is expanded to like other things other than just dear Jesus. Mm. No. So I, I feel like, and I say this kind of half jokingly, but I feel like kind of the nice thing about being a Christian is at least you can be angry at God for your cancer. No. <laughs> you know, like, like, who are you angry at? Like, who do you blame? Who do you, you know, like, where do you draw um, comfort from, even on the other side of the spectrum? I, you know, I haven't hit, you know, the stages of grief. I haven't hit, I haven't gotten through anger yet, um, or gotten too angry yet. Mm -hmm. I have, you know, I never have blamed God when people you know, in my family were sick and everyone's praying for them to have a recovery or, you know, my uncle just passed away or recovery from cancer. Um, I, I don't, I don't think God, I don't know. I, I, I have never thought that it was God's fault or he gives us these things. I think that, you know, I want to know why I have cancer, but I think it's something to do with the environment. There's something going on. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of young people my age and younger getting this cancer. And I don't think if there is a God that he caused that. I don't want, I don't, I just don't believe in that sort of a, a God. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not mad at God. I, I think this happened because of, you know, there was probably some genetic thing that got turned on by some environmental thing and I have cancer. Um, you know, if I had chosen to have children, would they have found it earlier? I don't have kids. Like, would they have found it earlier? And I could have been treated, you know, I could, I could drive myself crazy with like, I wasn't vegan soon enough. I wasn't healthy soon enough. Like I ate Taco Bell too much when I was, <laughs> so now it's kind of a joke. Cause I'm always like, Oh, maybe Taco Bell is why I have cancer, yeah. you know, like jokingly, yeah. but I think working in healthcare, the science, we just don't know, you know, being science like based, I, we just don't know. And I don't, yeah, I don't have anyone to blame for my cancer, but I don't think there is anyone or yeah, to blame for my cancer. Um, you know, if I smoked a whole bunch and I had lung cancer, I could blame myself. Right. But right. So yeah, just, just to wrap up the idea of, of spirituality. Um, you know, there, there's, I, I interviewed Ryan Bell recently who, um, is I, a, I listened. Did you? We all come from the same background, so I can use insider language and you will understand what I mean by that, you know, so, so there's, you know, kind of, I was jokingly telling him that, you know, there's always this God sized hole in your heart where, you know, I think it came from C.S. Lewis, where it's like, no matter what, you, it doesn't matter how like atheist, agnostic, you know, secular you think you are, there's still that little hole in your heart that's God burning in, you know, in your heart. Um, do you believe that? I think so. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, 
I, I feel like I don't have all the answers and I feel like I was, you know, on this journey. Um, so finding, you know, new meaning, I was open to anything. And, um, and then all of a sudden now I'm like, well, I need some answers. <laughs> I can't, you know, I, just, I can't just like wait for them. I need some now. Um, so I don't feel like a hole to my heart. I, I feel I feel like I have peace about a lot of things um, spiritually. I don't, um, I don't know the thing that I, that scares me a little bit um, at first it didn't is I, because I don't have any sort of context for death um, outside of my religion. <laughs> um, that's where kind of where I'm at, where I feel like I, I, I want some answers and you know, your interview I listened to with Ryan and um, him talking about what he believed that really, you know, that we, when we die, you know, there's nothing else that it's just, we're done. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't like that. Like that was sort of, I was washing dishes, listening to that. And I was like, Oh, I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, like, this is, this is my thing. This is what I've been wanting to call and and talk to Kumar about. Mm -hmm. Um, I need, yeah. So I think that's where I'm like, I want so, and I felt this way through so many losses and hurt. Like, I wish I, I believed you know, last year when my uncle died, part of my heartbreak was, I don't know that I believe that I will see him again. I don't know what I believe. And so, you know, my parents, my dad had so much comfort in knowing he was going to see him so soon. Um, And I want like, gosh, that's one thing I wish. I wish I believed all that stuff still because I, that would bring me so much comfort. Um, And I don't, you know, I don't know I don't have that comfort. And when I first got diagnosed, I was okay with that. This, this real peace, like, I'm just going to go to sleep and that's it. Like, it'll be like I went to sleep. (laughs) There's nothing to be afraid of. Um, because I was raised in a religion where there wasn't like, you didn't die and go right to heaven. Like the dead, no, not anything, you know, that's burned into my brain. That's not comforting Mm. at all. I mean, I feel like that doesn't comfort me at all. Um, and then I, you know, if I go up to a, another place or whatever, um, that's weird to me. It just sounds weird to me because I was, you know, for 35 years of my life, I believe something different. Right. So, you know, um, reincarnation doesn't bring me any sort of peace. So that afterlife thing, that is something that, um, that I'm grappling with. And then I'm just started to be brave enough and strong enough um, to feel like I want to explore that a little bit. You know, when I when I knew you as a kid, I always knew you as just like the very, very popular girl, fun, fun loving, laughing all the time. Like you had a very large um, laugh and um, happy. Um, I don't I don't know if that transcended into adulthood, but I just always think of you as kind of this optimistic, happy person, you know. Um, what what keeps you happy these days? Like what what do you where do you rely? Uh, you know where do you where's your source of, of joy and, and hope? Um, I think just with I'm so blessed. First of all, I, you know I have everything I, I need in my life. I I feel really grateful that I've had a fulfilling career. Um, that was something that was really important to me to achieve. Um, also, you know I found the love of my life in a and we have a great relationship and um and a great life we've really set our life up to be 
just so much fun. Um, and so I, I think just every moment of my, even before all this happened, every moment of my life, I, I was so grateful. I loved my job. I, I love where I live. I love the things I get to do. I love to travel. Um, I love my family. I just feel so grateful. I have so many blessings and I, I, I really just try to focus on that. I also, you know, when this first happened, the outpouring, you know, I have, um, I struggle with, with self-esteem and, you know, feeling good enough and, and all this stuff. And just the outpouring from my colleagues at work and from family and friends, from my parents' friends, from people that, you know, I went to school with, all the Adventist community of my parents in in um, Ohio, the support and love that they've, they've poured out to me, like that has brought me so much um, strength and um I always was, I'm a person that I, it's hard to take a compliment. Mm -hmm. Um, and just like, but I, you, you know, try to take my friend's advice and just soak it all in and accept it all and not, you know, push it away. And it's just lifted me up and carried me, um, mm -hmm. when I didn't think I could, um, I, I feel joy. And, and this is kind of how I lived my life. And I feel so grateful that I had already been practicing this, but just gratitude for every little thing, like every sunset, every sunrise, those are my favorite times of the day. I make sure I get my eyes on them every day. They bring me joy. Um, my dogs, you know, just everything that I um, can be grateful for and thankful for. And, you know, it hasn't been easy the last eight months. <laughs> There's a lot of things to focus on that are terrible. Um, and, but I really, you know, I kind of just have to balance taking some of that in for the first, I would say for the first five months or so I had to just, I'm kind of, a, I'm a politically active person. I'm very involved in, in those sorts of issues. And I just had to shut it all down because it was too much for me to take, but I'm back to, you know, now I need to shut it all down again because I'm consuming it way too much and it's not good for my health. But I, I also think when I want to kind of spiral down into negativity, that is not good for my cancer. That is not good for me. And I have this, you know, small, I know, you know, I know that my time is not long on this earth and I don't want to spend that time feeling sad. I don't want to t spend that time uh, feeling bad in anything about anything. I want to have joy and gratitude and love. And that's where I want to live and I want to thrive in that. And so if I get distracted, I just have to refocus myself and say, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be too sad. Right. Uh, I'll have a worry break or a sad break, um, but I can't wallow there too long because that's not where what I want to do. Um, I think one of the keys that you've said numerous times during this conversation is that this isn't a cancer didn't create a new rate, Rachel. Mm -hmm. Like you already have those um, patterns already in practice. Yes. So gratitude and love and, and nature and thinking positively. I mean, that all of that stuff already healthy, you know, living and exercise and, you know, diet. So it wasn't like you all of a sudden were like, I have cancer. Now I have to do like a 180 and become a new person. Right. You have been able to continue to make that an extension of your life. Yes. Yes. And I feel so grateful that I had gotten myself to that point. Um, I think if I had gotten this diagnosis 10 years ago, I, you know, I wouldn't be handling it as well because I hadn't grown, you know, what they say, I turned 50, I can't believe this. I turned 50 in a, a few months. Um, everyone tells, you know, you hear, oh, 50 so, makes you so happy. Everything's so great when you're 50, you feel so wise and powerful. Well, I wasn't having that attitude about turning 50. <laughs> I was like fighting it. I was like, every day 
is a day closer to 50. I got to run more miles. I got to, you know, yeah. Yeah. restrict more calories. Um, I was kind of, that's where I was. But then I'm just so grateful because it is true. You really have, by the time you're 50, you really do start to figure some things out and accept some things and are at a good place. And, and I feel so grateful that my cancer came at this time in my life when I felt, even though I thought like, wow, I'm in the best place ever and I get cancer, but really it prepared me for the cancer, mm. really did. So many things have fallen into place in the last few years that are making this uh, journey, as I like to call it, um, better and more bearable. That's beautiful. Do you have a bucket list? I do. <laughs> I do. Um, I've had one for a while, even before all this. So it's, I have an attitude, but I do have a bucket list. I want to do some more traveling. Um, co you know, everything I was handling cancer pretty well. And then COVID hit. And I have to tell you I, all my gratitude journaling and all my, all my cancer journaling and all this stuff I was doing reading. It just kind of like, the brakes went on and I've just been trying to survive in this COVID environment. Um, but I did ha I do have a journal that I made a list of things I want to make sure that I do. Um, but I think part of it is just part of that is letting people know how I feel about them. Mm -hmm. um, also, there's some places I would like to see, um, but all it's weird. It's, it's bucket list stuff. Like um, I want to uh, make sure my closet's tidy and <laughs> And <laughs> I get my pictures organized. Yeah. It's all my procrastinating is on projects like that that I want to, you know, get done. Yeah. There's some things I want to make. I just want to make things easy for Lisa. Um, I, you know, things like I wanted to have in place, you know, things that I want to happen um, in my, after my passing. And um, I wanted that sort of thing to um, be it be taken care of so I can just have peace of my peace of mind. Um, and I want to plan for a, a good death. Like we plan for life. I want to plan for a good death. So some, those are, it's a weird bucket kind of list, but, um, it's not like I want to go skydiving, um, or anything like that. I feel like the things I've really wanted to do, I've, I've gotten to do, I, I think I I'm sad if I can't travel, if I can't see, have more adventures with Lisa, we love to travel. Um, I, I also want to spend time with my nieces, uh, my brother's kids. I, I really want to see as much as I can of them growing up. That's kind of part of my, my bucket list is to, to t spend time with them. Um, and with my parents and of course my lovely wife, but uh, they, it's not, relationships. Yeah. yeah. Relationships. Yeah. More than anything, more than just, yeah things that I want to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Kumar. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share. I mean, this is like such private matters of, of your life and you were <laughs> willing to share this with people. I, I really am grateful for that. Well, I, I'm an open book. That's kind of how I always am. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but also I just want to say on your podcast that, you know, if get a colonoscopy, people, Fight with your doctors if you're 45 to 50 to get that early colonoscopy and any sign and symptom that you have, get it checked out because the earlier they can diagnose it, um, the easier it is to treat. Oh, um, so I just like to say that every time I'm, I can. Absolutely. I've, I've had three colonoscopies so far. I've had, I've always had GI issues. So I have, I'm like Mr. Colonoscopy and <laughs> Um, you're good at that bowel prep. Oh man. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> <not> man. <laughs> but, um, 
I don't know if I'll include this in the podcast, but um, the, I have a I have I have a primary care physician who just loves when I see her because she says she just it gets her for like another month of just laughing. But um, I walked in about a year ago and I saw like the lube on the side of the table and I was like, oh great, like this is it. You know, this is this is the. Uh, this is the probe. And so she, um, I didn't say anything. And then she was like, you know, Mr. Dixit, we need to, you know, do a rectal, rectal exam. So I go into my fetal position and she doesn't know, but I have like my phone with me with my iTunes on. And just as she's like putting her gloves on, I put on Sade's No Ordinary Love. <laughs> and she like almost fell over. She was just like, Okay, this is it. She's like, this is a new low. This is like, I can't, I can't even, you know. So it was, it was pretty funny. Good so. stuff. You gotta laugh. That's yeah, you, you do. You, you gotta do. laugh. Anyways, thank you, Rachel. You're welcome, Kumar. Thanks for listening to the Concierge Minister podcast. If you want to learn more about growing in your faith or looking for an online faith community for support while you're on your journey, please visit conciergeminister.com or send us an email at conciergeminister at gmail.com. Don't forget to click the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. If you find this podcast helpful, please tell your friends about us. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, go and live your best life.